Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. At first, we had no idea who this guy was. I mean, he's covered in prison-style tattoos with one of them missing your mind first goes, okay, well, this is retribution. This is a gang hit. But who is he? When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities, as well as the locations of these crimes, out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects. We have Detective Dave. Good afternoon. It's afternoon now. Good afternoon. And we have Detective Dan. Hello, everyone. Hello. And we are so pleased to welcome back Sheriff Carl. It's good to be back. Thank you for coming. So, Carl, you have a really interesting case for us today. But actually, before we get into the nitty-gritty of that, I want to remind our listeners about your jurisdiction, because I remember when you sat down with us before and gave us a case we called Collateral, you said your county is roughly 928 square miles, which, by the way, is almost the size of the state of Rhode Island. And you only have about a dozen deputies patrolling that whole area. That's right. It's crazy, Carl. So the case you're bringing us today is about a gangland murder. And I have to confess, the city slicker that I am, I would not have thought that you would have gang-related crime in such a rural jurisdiction. They pop up like weeds. I was surprised. So you're dealing with a couple factors here, and one is you have large criminal organizations, gangs, that are from bigger cities, and sometimes to further their interests, drug trade, things like that, they will 
push people out into these rural areas. The other side of that is we have a prison system that collects people from all over the state, and these potential gang members click up while they're in the joint for protection, usually. And once they get paroled or they get released, they go back to their small towns and they start up their own chapter. I see. Okay. And just taking a little further, sometimes you have these prison gangs that if you have a group of guys from a small area. Like a small town? Yeah, like my town, for instance. We had guys from our small town that went up to the state prison and they started their own gang just because they were familiar with each other and it was a geographical thing. So once they got out, they came back to our town and as far as gangs go, where I'm from, they were the top of the heap. Just because now they were back in their hometown. They were back in their hometown. They were violent, they were ruthless, and they were organized. That's so interesting. That's why I love this podcast, because every time we sit down together, I learn something new. Okay, so Carl, tell us how this case came to you. Absolutely. So there was a warring faction between two prominent street-level gangs. These gangs would go on uh, what they would call missions or putting in work. And there was a lot of violence in the area. As a result, one of the major gangs ended up splitting into two factions. And this was at the prison level. And the street gang culture, a lot of it is prison-based, and a lot of the orders do come from prison to the streets. So the new faction had found out that one of the higher-ranking members, he was what we'd say the officer rank, like a lieutenant, was giving information to a local law enforcement agency about the new faction, which is a huge no-no in the gang Is he a paid snitch? Yes, he is a paid snitch. Who's paying him? So paid informants get money from whichever law enforcement agency that they are working with. And it could be 20 bucks. Go, you know, get some gas for your car. It depends on the type of information you're giving and the kind of case that you're working on. You know, it's kind of like a reward. Like when you have the Crime Stoppers tips that's a reward for information leading to the arrest of this person. So it's kind of like that in our world. I remember in our detective bureau at our agency, we had kind of a little petty cash set aside. Uh, You have to write down who was paid, by whom, which detective, case number, and what it's for, basically. And so there's a ledger that tracks all of that. What's the most you've ever paid out to an informant? Um... I personally, I didn't have a whole lot of informants on the uh, sex abuse side of the world. Uh, The biggest one I've ever heard of was a couple hundred dollars. Interesting. Okay. So, Carl, are these gangs running drugs? Is it sex trafficking? Is it anything and everything? This particular gang was known more for weapons trafficking, drug sales, and prostitution. Got it. So, it was right around November, December. And I had been with the sheriff maybe six months. I had come from a large agency, went to work here. There was only five of us. So I get a call. We got a body in a creek. At first, I'm thinking, is this an accidental? Is this something that, you know, they stumbled upon? Is it a natural? Is it a homeless guy that wandered off? We didn't know. So I went out there. And uh, the first thing I noticed, there was what I recognized to be 
common gang identifiers. Like? Uh, the person was wearing gang-specific clothing, a certain color of jacket with a certain type of logo. Uh, he had some very, very distinct tattoos, and one of which was cut off. Like they just peeled the skin, cut it out? Yeah, it was literally carved off of it. And this creek, is this adjacent to a road, or would it take some work to get this body to where it comes to rest? Well, it was adjacent to a road next to a bridge, but this was a gravel road. This was a very remote area in the county. You wouldn't expect anyone out there at all. There was a house that was nearby, and as we're out looking at this body, we get a report of a burglary that occurred just right down the road. Separate from this dead body in the creek. Yes. So what we had found out is that the Joneses, who lived in the house right down the road, come home in the morning. They find that their front door has been kicked open and almost all their possessions are gone out of the house. That's a bad day. It wasn't a good one. Well, what they were thinking was, we're going to walk down the road. Maybe some of the stuff fell out and we can kind of get an idea of which way they went. Well, come to find out, they initially discovered our body and had went to the house to call 911 and get law enforcement coming out there. Well, between that time and the time they actually made the phone call, another person found the body and called 911. So we had a lot of people calling in off of this otherwise very remote area. So they're thinking they're sneaky. Let's hide the body out in this rural area and already... (laughs) Two people have seen this body already, so not a great dump site. Yeah, they really didn't think this one through. We did find out there there was some property from the house, mostly pillow sheets and uh, things like that. So the Joneses are thinking if they can find some of their stuff along the road, then they'll know which direction the bad guys went. Yep. Did that actually turn out to be a good plan? Well, they had made it to the bridge, but whenever they looked over the bridge and they saw the body... They realized, uh, hey, isn't that our bed sheet right there? (laughs) So uh, I went down and I I did a preliminary examination. And um, I've been on these death scenes before, but this was one where I knew that I was pretty much on my own. Even though I did have some resources that were going to become available to me, I knew that I really needed to get this right whenever I first got there. Is this because your agency is so small? Yes. Okay. Let's just say I settled down for a long day. (laughs) (laughs) So I went down and I noticed that he had been stabbed many times. His head was almost severed. He had his throat cut, but it cut him really, really deep. So whoever did this was quite strong. He was no slouch himself. He was a little over uh, maybe six foot. The victim was? Yes. So he was a pretty good-sized guy himself. So for somebody to be able to manhandle him was going to be quite a good-sized individual. How old was the victim? He was in his late 30s. And does he have a name? Yes, his name was Jesse. And uh, Jesse was a ranking member of the old faction of the street gang. And from what I understand, he was caught a few times and he decided to roll over. But of course, when a person rolls over, they don't necessarily give up the information completely. They give up what they want you to know. At this time, they were having a conflict between the new faction and the old faction. So what he decided to give up was the new faction. 
which was against the rules, and uh, he was going to have to pay a price. When you say give up, he was tattling on the new faction. Jesse was. Yes. Okay. So he's given information on the new faction to a law enforcement investigator. Is that put in a report, or is he considered a CI? He was a CI. What's a CI? A CI is a confidential informant. This is a person that, for whatever reason, whether it's that they're caught doing something wrong or some moral obligation that they feel that they must give up information, they are cooperating with the law enforcement investigator on an ongoing investigation. You'll even have certain drug dealers who don't like the competition will strategically seek out a relationship with law enforcement to eliminate their competition as business. Go arrest them. They're moving all kinds of weight. Here's where they're doing it. This is the guy you want to look for. This is what he drives. And that way, his business gets revived because there's no more competition. Surely you guys are on to that strategy. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, a bird in the hand, worth two in the bush. Is that how that goes? Yes, that is how that goes. Every CI has some sort of agenda. It's usually selfish. And they usually give up the bare minimum that's going to get them off of charges or whatever. They're never going to give you more than you really need. That's right. They're always going to hold something back. And uh, like you said, it, it is a burden of hand. And we take that because there's going to be someone that's going to come along that's going to narc on them, too. So <laughs> they will come back around. It's just a matter of who's giving what information. Sometimes you just take what you can get. Right. That makes sense. So you now know that Jesse, the dead body in the creek who's been stabbed multiple times and has one of his tattoos literally sliced off of him, is a member of the old faction of this street gang and snitching on the new faction. That's right. How hard was it to ID him? Well, at first we had no idea who this guy was. I mean, he's covered in prison-style tattoos with one of them missing. Your mind first goes, okay, well, this is retribution. This is a gang hit. But who is he? So once again, we just have to kind of sit and wait. Fortunately, I had a pretty good sizable crime scene. He was at the bottom of a creek. We had to logistically get him out. So, you know, it was a challenging scene nonetheless. Of course, by this time, we start getting calls from different family members. In particular, Jesse's girlfriend. She's saying, you know, Jesse never came home last night. Is this ultimately how you ID him? Yes, this is how we will identify him. A couple of guys came by last night. They left and he never came home. A couple of guys came by and took Jesse with them and he never came home? Yes. So she's able to provide us with some ID that he had, some old pictures, some other old fake IDs that he had. And we were able to get a tentative ID on this guy. So she became very interesting to us. We wanted to know these other guys, who were they and why did they come by? And that's where the story of this would pick up. So Jesse's girlfriend has told you that the night he was murdered, he was picked up by two guys. Does it take you a long time to find those two guys? No. The other folks that were involved here, Benny and Acevedo, were two other members of this street gang. Old or new faction? Well, as it would turn out, Benny was a member of the new faction. He was 18 years old. And Acevedo was a member of the old faction, the same as Jesse. 
he was a sergeant. So he was actually directly under Jesse. So we were able to get from Jesse's girlfriend that Acevedo was there. Was one of the ones who came by and picked him up? Yes. And she knew Acevedo because her and Jesse, of course, you know, being that they were high-ranking members, would spend a lot of time together. But she didn't know who the other guy was. So um, with our ID, we take Jesse up to the medical examiner's office at the same time trying to process the scene. Now, we have a really complicated scene here. First of all, we have this area where this guy's been found, but now we have property that's down there with him that is directly linked to the burglary that's just down the street. So what exactly is that particular connection? And we do. We find out that there was a connection, that this was a burglary job. This was work that they were supposed to do. Now, we were going to have to figure a way to get all this information. First of all, we had to locate Acevedo because no one knew where he was. And the second thing that we needed to do was find out how did they do it. And then third, who killed Jesse and why? And this was going to take a while. So the first thing we did is that we talked to Jesse's girlfriend. Jesse's girlfriend says that he came by late in the night, dropped off some stuff and said, I got to go. So we took a look at the stuff that he dropped off, which happened to be proceeds from the burglary down the road. At the Jones house? Yes. So now we're able to tie Jesse, at least, to this burglary. We found out that Acevedo was with him, so we had to figure out where Acevedo lived. He didn't live anywhere. He just kind of went from house to house, just recently released from prison, and, uh, We did find that there was a family member that he was staying with. So we went and scooped him up and brought him in. We wanted to know exactly what was going on. Of course, he didn't know anything. But he was with this other guy that he says he didn't know his name. But come to find out that once we got into it, yes, he knew exactly who he was. And yes, he knew exactly what happened to Jesse. How old is Acevedo? Acevedo is near 40. Okay, so he's closer to Jesse's age. Yes. So what we find out is that the night before, there was a car that was rented from a car leasing place. They actually went through the usual channels and leased it properly? Well, actually, Benny's mom leased the car. So Benny is going to be the new faction person from the street gang. He's the third party in this robbery. Yeah, he is a third party. He has yet to have been identified, but we did figure out the car. So once we tracked the car back, we were able to go back and see who leased the vehicle, which would be Benny's mom. Of course, after tracking Benny's mom down, Benny's mom had no idea what was going on. She really didn't? Actually, she truly didn't. (laughs) What had happened is that Benny took the car, picked up a Savito, They went over to meet Jesse and said, we have work to do, which meant that they had to go do a job. The job in this case was going to be a burglary, but the burglary was just a cover-up for what the real job was. What was the real job? It was discovered that Jesse was giving up information, and Acevedo was to supervise Benny and help him kill Jesse. But they got to have a plan to get Jesse in the car. Jesse's not just going to hop in the car and go, hey, let's go to where you guys are going to kill me. No, we got a job to do. You're going with us. And then that gets him out to this area where they need him. I'm curious. Jesse's working with law enforcement. 
and they discover it, obviously. Is he working with your agency or is he working with another agency that isn't in the local area? Yeah, Jesse's working with a neighboring agency. Okay. And after we're able to identify him, get a tentative ID, then we find out his backstory and what he's really doing with them. Of course, it's just as you said, they're giving up limited information. They're just going to minimize what it is that they're actually doing. And that's what they did in this case. You're talking about that these informants basically say as little as possible. Absolutely. So we do get information. We find the car. Now, by this time, I am feeling like I am pretty much drinking water through a fire hose. I mean, it's quite busy. I asked my sheriff, I said, what is it that you expect me to do here? And he says, I expect you to find the killer. That's what I expect you to do. (laughs) So you said earlier that you found Acevedo. That's right. The first person we pick up is Acevedo. We drag him in. He's not forthcoming with information, but he's in possession of some of the burglary property. Oops. Yeah, oops. Uh, So we start holding that against him. It's positively ID'd property. He's on parole, so he's already in trouble, and he knows it. He gives up Benny. Benny's this young kid. He's trying to become a gang member, but he hasn't done the proper work yet, which would be murder. I see. And Acevedo had just gotten out of prison. Do you know what he had been in prison for before? Murder. Oh, okay. (laughs) Are you telling me that prison didn't rehabilitate him? You know, it's not 100%, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I know you guys often refer to it as criminal college. If you're not going to be rehabilitated there, you're probably going to sharpen the skills that got you in there in the first place. And Acevedo comes out better connected. He's with all the shock callers or whatever, the people giving orders. Now he's got a direct line to them. I'm surprised that if Acevedo was in prison for murder previously that he's out at all. Well, he went in as a kid. Oh. Now he's in his 40s. So he had just been serving a really long sentence and he'd served it and now he was out. Right. I see. He goes in as a recruit, I guess you would say, and he comes out as a sergeant. Of his gang. Yes, he has progressed well within the ranks of that street gang. So why does he give Benny up? Isn't that taboo? Isn't that the last thing you ever want to do? Well, it's because he wasn't going to go back for another murder. I don't know if he didn't understand the law or if he assumed that because he had committed another felony, this could be considered as capital murder, which means he could get the death penalty. Also, Acevedo did have residual loyalty to the old faction. The new faction, they were considered young and disrespectful, so the old faction just really did not care much for him. However, orders are orders. And Acevedo was told that this old faction lieutenant was going to be X'd out, which is what they called it. That's whenever the uh, higher-ranking gang member says that he's no longer allowed to live. They will issue out an order for him to be killed. The new faction member, if he wants to become a member, needs to kill him. I get it. If this street gang that's the old faction is pretty well entrenched and seems to have some pretty organized ranks. Why would a new faction ever spring from it? As we would find out later, it was a matter of the way they did business. The old faction was more into prostitution and cocaine level drugs. The new faction was more into violence and hits, which from the old faction perspective, it's bad. It draws attention to you. While the new faction wanted to go to war, the old faction wanted to make money. 
conflicting business strategies. Both bad, but I, business is business, I guess. Right. And Benny needs to, uh, this is his final exam. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this is fascinating. So we find out who Benny is. We find out that Benny's mom had rented a car. So we go get the car. It's in beautiful shape. There's not a spot on it, which made us immediately suspicious. Who rents a car and then takes it back absolutely spotless? And did she rent the car because she needed the car or she rented the car for Benny? She rented the car because she needed it. Benny just took it. So the first thing we do is we bring out a team. They luminol the inside of the vehicle. Luminol? Luminol is a reactant to blood. Yeah, so... You know, when you see CSI, you watch CSI and you see they spray the little stuff on the blood and it lights up blue? Yeah. That's what he's talking about. Oh, right. That's right. And uh, in this case, the crime scene folks luminol the inside of the car and we didn't see a thing. Just a little bit of blood on the steering wheel and on the seatbelt. So as they moved through the car, they got to the trunk and the trunk lit up like a Christmas tree. So... Now, my body site where I'm finding Jesse, now I'm looking at this as a dump site. Where was Jesse killed? This starts bringing the attention of the agency that had him as a snitch. Now, they're concerned for their other snitches. So, we're starting to get a lot of extra help, a lot of extra eyes. We found out that uh, Benny worked for a paint company. They did uh, construction painting. So uh, we went out there, and sure enough, there he was on the job. We bring him in, and it's just myself and the ranger, and we say, Benny, you know why we're here. And he just kind of looked, and he says, yeah, I know. (laughs) I I, I know. So the next question was actually pretty simple. So why'd you do it? He goes, I had to. It was my initiation. Yeah. I honestly never had a confession that quick. That opened the dialogue, and we just started talking about it. Hey, folks. Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360-degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. 
Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, Small Town fam, it's Yardley. I want to talk about Pros. Pros is the custom hair and skin beauty brand where you get on their website, answer a bunch of questions about where you live and how old you are, what kind of hair you have, what kind of hair you want to have. And then from millions of possible formulas, they create a formula just for you. So I'm lucky I have a lot of hair. Most days, my hair is the boss of me. So I need shampoo and conditioner that gets my hair to calm down a little bit. So I've been using Pros for a while, and one of my favorite things about it is you can choose your scent. They have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and then adjusts the formula. Also, Pros is a certified B Corp. It's cruelty-free, and it's the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So it's not only better for you, it's better for the planet. So, small town fam, Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do it. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small town fam, Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is SMALLTOWN. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code SMALLTOWN for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code SMALLTOWN at L-U-M-E deodorant.com. 
So what Benny confessed to was that on the night of the burglary, him and Acevedo were given instructions to take Jesse out and kill him because he is a snitch and he brought discredit on the street gang. Acevedo is the old faction supervisor. This killing must be supervised by a member of the old faction because the order came from the old faction. The killing had to be done by a member of the new faction. That was Benny's initiation into the street gang. So even though the old faction and the new faction have very different views on how business should be conducted, one to make money, one to create war, they're still trying to figure out ways to work together. That's unusually collaborative. Right. The CEO's in prison making decisions. And if you want to be a part of his gang, then you're going to take the marching orders and you're going to get the mission done. If they aren't necessarily aligned, if they actually think it's necessary that there be two separate factions, why does the new faction comply with orders from the old faction? Well, that's a very good question. When it comes to gangs, there is a pecking order. While they may want different factions to be involved in different ways of doing business, there's still the, and believe it or not, it's called the constitution of that gang, and they must abide by it. So even if they don't like it and they may want to war against it, If the order comes in that they must do this, then there's no room for question. It's an order. You got to do it. Because if not, the result is you're the next one on the list. I see. I'm so surprised that Benny is like, yeah, I know why you're here. I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff. That is shocking to me. Well, by this time, he knows that we have the car. Right. The one his mom rented. Yes. By this time, he knows that we found blood in the car. Remember, this is his initiation. If he tries to fight it, and let's just say, for instance, we could not prove our case, then that's not confirmation that he actually killed him. Even though Acevedo was there to see it. Acevedo is the backup. He's there in the event that we can't prove our case. I see. Acevedo's got a problem, though, if he goes back to prison because he snitched out Benny. He sure did. Which is kind of ironic because they killed Jesse because he was a snitch. Seems like a double standard. How did Acevedo and Benny find out or whoever's, you know, calling the shots in the prison know that Jesse was given info to law enforcement? We never did find out. We don't know. There was a leak, but we don't know where it came from. Right. So Jesse had a girlfriend who originally reports him missing. Mm -hmm. She's got to have an inkling of to what Jesse is up to. Well, that's where we suspect the leak came from. Oh, you think she snitched him out? Either intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah, she doesn't know that she's giving really damning information on her boyfriend. And she isn't directly affiliated with either faction of this street gang. She just happens to be dating a guy who's in it. Yeah, we can speculate that she gave up information that came back to the gang that he was a snitch. Because we even looked at the agency that was using him and no, they were airtight. It wasn't them. It came from another source, and the most likely source was her. And do you think that she suffered any repercussions for that suspicion? Shortly after the case was solved, she moved. She left town. The girlfriend left town? Yes. I'm guessing Jesse was in the lifestyle for a long time. Jesse's got prison tattoos. He's been in the joint before. Does he have kids, or did he grow up in that community? Yes, he did grow up in the community. He did not have children that he knew of. He did have a brother and sister who are very respectable members of the community. One of them owned a um, butcher shop. The other one owned a nightclub. They were working people. They were uh, actually really good folks. And uh, Jesse's folks were uh, good people. 
So, you know, he was just that one that took a different road. And what about Benny? Benny came from a line within the gang. So he's been in it. His dad was in it. His grandpa was in it. It was kind of a family business. So it was expected for him to go into it. So if Benny's family has a legacy in this gang, then going down for this murder probably isn't that big a deal. Doing this murder gives him status. Yes. And what he confessed to was that the night of the burglary, they were supposed to go hit this house. They made three trips to this house emptying it out. They decided to split this stuff. The stuff that was taken to Jesse's house was his cut of the burglary. That's why his girlfriend saw him come home. But he had to turn around and leave. It was under the story that Jesse was going to help unload the rest of the stuff. So basically, you help me unload my stuff, and I'll help you unload yours. So they go back to the house to make a fourth trip. So this residence that's burglarized, is there any reason why the Jones residence was targeted? Did Benny and Acevedo and Jesse know that Jones were out of town for a certain amount of time? As we found out later on, the paint company that Benny worked for had done some work out there. It wasn't necessarily the house that they were interested in. It was the bridge they were interested in. This is a good place to kill someone. Right. We can get Jesse out here to the locale. We've got a target of opportunity here that also serves another purpose that we've transported him from his house out to a desolate place where we can dump him. That's right. And on the way out there, they started giving Jesse a lot of cocaine. Because remember, Jesse's almost six foot tall. He's a big guy. Right. You need to uh, limit his capacity a little bit. You need to level the playing field a little bit. Wouldn't cocaine amp you up? Wouldn't you want to give him Xanax or something? Well, I don't know if they had any. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. But they had enough cocaine to where Jesse became intoxicated on cocaine. He was starting to go in and out. So cocaine mixed with alcohol. They finally got him to a point where he was sluggish. So they got back out to the Joneses, passed it up, went to the side of a road under the premise that they had to go to the bathroom. This is out in the country. There's no lights. There's nothing out there. So Jesse gets out to go to the bathroom. And when he does, that is when Benny says he goes up behind him and begins to stab him from behind is pulling the knife into his chest. Benny's behind Jesse, and he's reaching around and stabbing him in the chest. Yes. Like he's hugging him, but he's stabbing him. Yes. Presumably, Acevedo has given him the go-ahead. Like, now's the time. Yes. Acevedo had told him, whenever we stop here, this is when you're going to do it. That conversation took place while Jesse was upstairs taking his part of the burglary up, and they said, okay, this is what happens next. Of course, when he gets stabbed, Jesse turns around. Now, Jesse's mad. (laughs) Now, Acevedo and Benny start to go to work on him. Once Jesse goes down to one knee, Acevedo stops because Benny is supposed to do it. So Benny continues to stab him. He goes down to the ground. And uh, it was at that time that Benny lifts up Jesse's head and slices his throat. I've seen videos in prison of prison stabbings with prison shanks, and it's a pretty shocking sight to see how violent and fast it happens. And I would imagine that this assault kind of looks like that. And that's kind of what the scene presented. Several stab wounds, none of them really, really deep, but some of them deep enough. 
Some of them were superficial, while some of them were really down deep into the organs. The autopsy would show that as well. Of course, the fatal wound would be whenever Benny cut his throat, he continued to bleed out. And at the autopsy, one of the things that we had to address, what happened to this tattoo? Well, he's not in the gang anymore, so he doesn't own it. Yes, the tattoo is the property of the gang. Jesse was ordered to be killed. There had to be two things in order to prove Benny's loyalty. One, he had to commit the murder, and two, he had to show proof that he did commit the murder. Does he take the flesh with the tattoo on it and present it to someone? Yes. Him and Acevedo had to take that piece of skin that was unique with the gang insignia on it to a verifying party that would verify that, yes, that belonged to him, and yes, it came off of him. Were you guys able to find the actual scene where the stabbing happened? We found a suspected area, and it was about as good as we could do because we're almost 10 days into this homicide, and we did find a place that tested positive for blood, but at that time, DNA services were just now starting to come online, and out in this area, we didn't have anything that would be able to positively identify it. Now, I did test positive for blood. Was it human? Was it animal? Who knows? Could have been roadkill. You're at the mercy of the weather, too. Oh, yes. And it had rained. It was cold. So there was a lot of stuff going on at that time. But we suspect we know where it was. And it made sense from where they allegedly killed Jesse to where they dropped his body. It made sense. Now, the only thing that didn't make sense, and Benny was adamant about it, he picked up Jesse by himself and put him in the trunk. What's Benny's stature? Benny is about five, seven, a buck and a half. That's exactly how I pictured him, actually. There's no way. He's trying to gain cred and status in prison. So when he gets there, people know that, you know, he really handled business. Right. And Jesse's dead weight. There's no way. At almost six foot. Yeah. Even if he could get him into the trunk of the car, he couldn't get him out. Just no way. So we knew that Acevedo was involved in the murder. The prosecutor determined, hey, look, this guy, Benny, he's taking credit for the whole ride. We have no direct evidence that's going to link Acevedo other than the likelihood that he had to participate in it somehow. Right. And Benny might be trying to help Acevedo with keeping him from being involved. Like, hey, he was just there. He didn't know that I was going to stab him, trying to protect him a little bit, maybe get a little bit more, Craig, because he's not sending Acevedo back to prison for being complicit in a murder. Did that work? Did Acevedo end up not going back to prison for this murder? (laughs) Ironically, because Acevedo was a habitual offender, he ended up getting more time for burglary than what he did for the murder. Did you ever find the murder weapons? Yes, we did. What'd they do with those? Well, the murder weapons were in Benny's lunchbox. They were two separate folding knives. And one of the things that really tied him into it is that one of the folding knives during the attack folded on top of Benny, slicing the inside of his hand. So this is in his lunchbox at his work site when you guys pick him up? Yes, because it was, you know, it was also, I mean, his work knife. So, I mean. (laughs) Are they cleaned off or, I mean, haphazardly cleaned off? It's very, very poorly cleaned. There was debris. There was obvious blood in there. So, I mean, yes. You'd have to take that knife all the way apart to clean it properly. Yes. And it wasn't an expensive knife. It was one of those. Truck stop knives? Well, yeah, it was a truck stop knife. That's exactly what we would call it. You know, you go to a truck stop, it costs about 15 bucks. For some reason, he felt the need to keep it. 
once again, we did find out what he did with the car. How did it get so clean? He took it to the car wash. Did he wash the car at the car wash? Because if there's an attendant, I would think they'd be like, dude, what has been in your trunk? No, he pulled the carpet out of the trunk of the car and used the hand car wash, the wand, to wash the blood out of the carpet. You know what's funny? I work graveyard, and the other night, I'm driving down one of our major thoroughfares. There's one of these car washes. There's three bays, and I look over, and there's this guy just feverishly washing his car, and I think to myself, this is like one of those things where in the middle of the night, you just murdered somebody, and you're like, I gotta get this car clean before somebody sees me in the daylight. And I mean, this guy's just going at it. So kind of rolled through, and he's just waved at me, and I'm thinking, you never know, you know? Right. Could you stop and say, dude, is there a problem? I could, but, I mean, what are the chances? Yeah, you certainly get that mentality of, well, there's something you don't see every day, and you just kind of, you know, go from there. So what about Benny? Did he plead guilty? Did he plead not guilty? What happened to him? Actually, Benny would end up pleading guilty to murder. He was sentenced to 55 years. 55? Yeah. And... I said, ironically, Acevedo, who was not sentenced to the murder, was sentenced as a habitual felon and got 60 years for the burglary. Wow. <laughs> Any uh, blowback when they got to their new home? Since then, Benny has progressed through the ranks. In prison. In prison. In his gang. Yes. And uh, Acevedo maintained his rank and committed a few more hits while in prison. You mean ordered a few more murders while in prison? No. So basically, he had to make up for snitching on Benny. How do you do that in prison? He's got to commit crimes against other inmates. Anything from murder to extortion, prostitution. Anything to further the interests of his gang. In prison. Yeah. I just feel so naive. Ugh. Wow. So many lives relate to waste in this episode. Yep. Carl, this <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> Sheriff Carl, A+. plus. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Soren Bajan, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soaring Bayesian, and our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at smalltowndicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country. In search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you. <laughs>